Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And we're thrilled to be joined by our TV editor, Liz Shannon Miller. Hello. Today, we'll be talking about Season 2 of The Mandalorian. We will be going deep into spoilers on this episode, so if you haven't seen all the episodes in Season 2 of The Mandalorian, stop listening now, catch up, and then come back, because we're going to be talking about all the favors, all the favors that he did this season, as well as, uh, you know, what happened in that season finale. But uh, before we get into that, I kind of wanted to get sort of a, a base level reading about where you guys were, how you guys felt about the show coming into season two. And then Liz, I'll start with you. What were your feelings about Mandalorian after season one? And, and what were you, you know, looking for in season two? You know, it's funny. I, I think of of the three of us, I'm probably the one who has the most positive opinion of about the show in general. And coming into season two, I was genuinely excited just because I am a fan of world building. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this stuff. Like I, I love digging in, and you know, like I love the way that this show gets into all the details. And I feel like, especially with the first episode of season two, like all of my expectations were really met. I loved, you know. Uh, I, I love I love stuff like uh, that flashback to the night of uh, the Battle of Yavin, where is it the Battle of Yavin? Oh, I should. It is no. the Battle of Yavin. Well, no, the second Death Star was. The no, Battle yes, of Battle I was. Of I knew I was right about that. And please, yes, no, do not at me. Uh, the Battle <laughs> of Endor's Moon. Uh, I, of course, I. It's of course it's the, the Battle of Endor's Moon. But yeah, that flashback to the night of the Battle of Endor's Moon, where all the where all the happy people on Tatooine are watching uh, it, watching it happen, like. It, I love it, stuff like that makes Star Wars feel real to me in a way that, you know, is goes beyond your typical like space movie about laser swords. Um, and I think that's been a real pleasure to see the show uh, explore over the course of the season. And Adam, what about you? Where were you coming in? Uh, you're going to at me. Everyone's going to at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't. Uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Like, I like Star Wars it's fine but it, it, so like to kind of go back the first season of the mandalorian that was really fun because we had no idea to what to expect there were no screeners obviously we had no idea that the story was essentially lone wolf and cub um and so i was kind of like intrigued and interested in that first episode but a little confused and then as the season wore on i was like oh is this what the show is you just like go to towns and do favors uh, i was like all right and as someone who's not like a massive star wars fan all little easter eggs and nuggets did nothing for me so it was just like purely base character and plot of which the show has very little admittedly uh at least in that first season so the second season i was like all right you know willing to give it another shot excited for it and i liked the you know the the first episode of the season i you know good old timothy elephant looking fantastic and doing john favreau just doing a western it's like he was like can i take another shot at cowboys and aliens but do it with star wars now <laughs> um so it came into the second season a little bit more like that. And then as the season wore on, I was like, oh, yeah, it's that thing that I don't love. <laughs> so I don't know. I, you know, I, I was open to um, embracing it. I think ultimately it probably landed on I like season two more than season one. But ulti I think the bottom line is this show is is probably not made for me. Yeah, for me, I mean, I wrote an article at the beginning of this season sort of being like, I like the fact that the Mandalorian is low stakes. And I like that. And I think especially in terms of the world of Star Wars, where like every movie has to be an event, it's sort of refreshing to sort of get something where it's like, no, this is just sort of a small stakes guy fights a monster and he goes about his business. But as the season wore on, I felt like there needs to be more here. You can have low stakes in terms of 
you know, cause we know the Mandalorian isn't going to die and we know baby Yoda isn't going to die. So what, what kind of story can you tell there? And I think you can still tell adventure stories that change a, the character and force them to grow that they believe something. And then, you know, something happened that changed their beliefs and the Mandalorian doesn't really do that. It, it really is a bunch of star Warsy set pieces loosely tied together by a very thin character plot about the Mandalorian who's this loner and he starts to care about baby Yoda. And that's, and, and from there, it just, it doesn't really do anything more. And I, I get for some, they're like, well, if you started adding mythology to it, it would make it convoluted. But I would say that you don't need to add mythology to the Mandalorian. You just need to add characters and better plotting. And unfortunately it's just like, like, like a lot of the season is Mandalorian goes somewhere. Someone says, Can, I need you to do me a favor. And then he gets into some sort of set piece. And that's really all the show is. And it's like, is this really all we're demanding from Star Wars at this point? Like this massive franchise that's been around for, you know, 40 plus years. And at this point, you know, is this all we can do? Feel like very expensive fan films. And I don't know. I feel like the Mandalorian doesn't need to be like, you know, if you, it doesn't need to be like what Marvel's doing with its series, where it's like, if you don't watch this, you're going to be lost. You know, you're not going to understand the whole cohesive plot. But I also don't think it needs to be so anemic that you, it just kind of washes over you. I mean, I'm going to say, I want to say something to the point of the Mandalorian and his favors, because I, you, y'all, <laughs> y'all know, I've been, I've been, I've been making jokes just like everyone else about this. Uh, but last night I went through each episode because uh, we, I, I'd been joking about like doing a the Mandalorian's favors ranked uh, list, and I. Uh, in doing that list, in doing like that, just that quick breakdown of here's what happened in the last 15 episodes. What was the favor? Uh, they a there aren't as many as we you know, might have assumed. Like it's not as bad as it could be. And a lot of the favors. I mean, we joke about favors, but it's really just more about it, it, you know. I think what a lot of the Mandalorian plot has indicated is that this is a transactional universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, and I think that there's, there was a really good Twitter thread where somebody, where somebody talked about this and I, I, I apologize for not being able to cite it properly. I also apologize for the fact that tank girl wants to be on camera <laughs> for net right now. Uh, but the, 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 the idea that this is, you know, the way that the way that life in the outer rim exists is the way that life in the outer rim works like yeah you know you want you want you want to get ships your ship repaired you got it you got to you know you got to get got to do a favor for grief and you know that favor is raiding a you know imperial base sure that sounds like a, that sounds like a solution to the problem i mean it's it is incredibly simplistic storytelling in some respects but i do think that you know, as someone who made a lot of jokes about Mandalorians, Mandal- the Mandalorian and his favors, like I, I feel like I want to stick up for the show in that respect, especially. But I do, I do agree with you that the character issue is a big one, and I think a big factor in that, not to skip to the end of the episode, is the fact that I have no idea what you do with the character of Din, last name here, because I can't, I'm not totally sure how Jaren. to say it. Jaren. Jaren, yes. Din Jaren. But like what 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 he he did the thing. He was like, I need to go take baby Yoda to a Jedi master. He more than accomplished that. 
uh, what you know, like retirement, go go hook up with that hot widow. Like, sure, you know, <laughs> he's got he's got options for sure. But like that was his he's he's never beyond beyond trying to re- reunite Baby Yoda with his people. There was no quest established for him, no personality established with him. Like I would argue that bringing in someone, you know, bringing in Boba Fett for whatever reason he wants to become a crime boss on Tatooine, sure. Uh, bringing in, uh, you know, bringing in Bo-Katan and her quest, like, you know, maybe maybe season four is the book of Bo-Katan. Who knows? I'm I'm rambling here, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I've I've been up for I've been up since five, you guys. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I would... to, to go to your point, Liz, about sort of character development, I think it's telling. Like in last week's episode, they sprung Bill Barr's character from jail, and it's like it turns out he's a former. Empire guy, and he has this whole thing about like this is what happened to my tr- my battalion and my troops, and like he has this whole emotional thing, and it's like that's a good character thing for this one guy who's been in two episodes, and like we don't really <laughs> yeah. know him that well. So you guys know what a backstory is, and you know what character stakes are. You just simply choose not to employ them. Yeah, I would argue though. I think the show, and I wrote about this in in a piece on the finale. Um, I think you finally did get a character arc for the Mandalorian. I think, you know, if we're just going by present, I do agree that like him not having a backstory was a huge barrier for me. Also him always wearing a helmet. I was like, what does he want besides to like get baby Yoda to where he goes? But in season two, we did start to see an arc progression, which was that not only does he care for baby Yoda, but he starts to make sacrifices for baby Yoda first kind of smaller sacrifices in terms of his ship or his personal health or his armor. But then the major one happened in the penultimate episode where he took his mask off. And like, this is a thing that has been a whole, you know, I will never take my helmet off because he's a fanatic. Um, But it is something that, I mean, even though Bo-Katan pointed out that like, it's a fanaticism thing, like they are, he's a religious faction. It is something that he, he has been, uh, you know, raised to believe that that is a very strong um, belief in something you just do not do. And he did it for Baby Yoda in, the, in that moment to get to Grogu. But the thing that really got me, and I think the thing that they really nailed in the finale was that final goodbye scene, when he takes the helmet off not to get Baby Yoda somewhere else, not to save Baby Yoda's life, not to like move the plot along, but to reassure Baby Yoda. Like it, It's a purely yeah. emotional action and a purely uh, selfless action on his part to show him that it's going to be okay, show him, him his face so maybe one day they, they, they'll reunite. But I thought that entire interaction was really nice and the highlight of the entire show, maybe for me. Uh, at that point, I was like, screw you, Luke Skywalker. Get away. Well, and see, and that's, well, that's the thing. I think that should have been the final shot of the season. Yeah, that would have been nice. But, uh, but the I, final I, shot I, I, was... The doors closing of no no that's what I'm saying it should have been the close up should have been on on like the relationship between Din Djarin and and Baby Yoda not Baby Yoda off with Luke Skywalker and R two D two which right. felt like hey fan service time again well yeah. I mean but to go back to what Adam was saying like you you are completely correct that you know Mandalorian the, the Mandalorian had a character arc the problem is it's over now like yeah. what 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 <laughs> is, is the Mandal- what, what is the character of Din Djarin like without caring for Baby Yoda? And general, and, and and here's the big question: What is the Mandalorian as a show like without Baby Yoda? And I think that on the one hand, that's kind of just a winky question, but on the other hand, like it's, I mean, a huge factor in the show's buzz when it first launched was: Have you seen how freaking cute that baby is? And that was a huge driver in terms of getting people invested and pe- getting people to care. And I think 
uh, you know, as much as as much as uh, people care, as much as there's a certain subset of fandom that's probably super jacked about this whole about a, a, a Boba Fett focused season, that still isn't you know that there that isn't necessarily serving the core Mandalorian fandom that came for the cute baby. I'd also we like to take also... a, a, brief, a brief pause here. We're recording this on Friday afternoon, the day oh, after yeah. it aired. So it is not. So the way season two ends, there's this oh. post-credit scene, and they go. It takes place in Jabba's palace. Bib Fortuna has taken over. Boba Hat, Boba Fett, and uh, Fennec. Boba come Hat. In. I love Boba Hat. Boba Hat. <laughs> Boba, Hat. <laughs> Boba Fett and Fennec come in, and they blast everyone, kill everyone, and Boba Fett takes over. And then it's like the book of Boba Fett. December 2021, and it's unclear. <laughs> Disney has not made it clear. Is that it's is that a spinoff series that will air in December 2021, or is that season three of The Mandalorian? Is it The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett? Is that season three? Because on the Disney Investor Call, Kathleen Kennedy said season three of The Mandalorian is coming in December 2021. And would you release two Star Wars shows on top of each other? You know, I I am inclined to believe that season three of The Mandalorian is about Boba Fett. That is my that is my current belief. I this podcast could be proven very wrong by Monday if they announce something. (laughs) We could literally get off this call and find out that we've got. I find we're a bunch of dumb dumb. I mean, as Matt and I, you and I have already discussed. Like, I am very firmly on your in your camp on this. I firmly believe that it is totally within reason for for. Uh, the creators of The Mandalorian to call, call their their third season the Book of Boba Fett. Just have that as a fun subtitle running throughout. Um, I am dismayed, frankly, by the way Disney has handled this. Like this is a, you know, this is a huge miscommunication if it's not a spinoff or if it is a spinoff. Like especially given that we've already had like a bunch of information coming out about other related spinoffs within the very specific time, you know, world of the Mandalorian. Right. And if well, it's, it's a spinoff, who's the, who's the showrunner? Who's writing it? Who's, yeah. you know. The fact well, yes. that the fa- it, it is, it is as of right now, like, I guess almost two, past 2 PM Eastern time. And we don't have an answer on this. That's absurd to me. <laughs> well, I think it's it's that thing of holding back the screeners of season one to protect the integrity of the audience. I'm sure this was a Favreau, Filoni, Kennedy thing of like, listen, we want everyone to be able to experience the finale cold without knowing what the credit scene is, without knowing, seeing that book of Boba Fett thing up. Disney, can you wait until Monday to send something out? Like, let's just not say anything, which is frustrating for us as press because we want to get it right. We don't want to get misinformation out there. But I also think, you know, the just from a production standpoint, there's a lot up in the air here. And I'm sure some people are wondering, like, oh, you know, why can't season three be, you know, Luke training Yoda? It is super expensive to do that digital de-aging, you know, digital actor version of Mark Hamill. So they are not going to make Luke Skywalker main character of The Mandalorian, I don't think. Um Although I would love to see the adventures of baby Ben Solo and baby Yoda, just like chumming. And then you cut to like a couple seasons later. And I mean, just I, I, a, a, di- a digitally de-aged Adam Driver. I just had an image of baby Ben Solo with like a hat made out of baby Yoda's skull. And I, <laughs> I'm horrified that my brain went there. <laughs> Uh, but you're right about the about the spinoffs, because thus far, it's been John Favreau and Dave Filoni who have been running The Mandalorian. Uh, they've announced an Ahsoka live action spinoff and a Rangers of the Republic live action spinoff. 
And I think they said Filoni would be on both, or did they just say Filoni on Rangers? Uh, Filoni is, I, I believe, I, having looked at it like a couple hours ago, I believe they didn't specify Rangers of the New Republic uh, who would be running that, but Ahsoka is definitely both Favreau and Filoni and yeah. uh, with Rosario Dawson back. So that's like a pretty split. And the other thing is like the Mandalorian. So for years to give a bit of a history here, George Lucas was trying to make a live action Star Wars TV show. They wrote dozens of scripts. They couldn't get it made because it was impossible to get the visual effects done on a TV timetable. They finally figured this out with this volume thing that uh, if you've watched Disney Gallery Mandalorian, you know how they create the backgrounds. That's what makes it possible to make a season of The Mandalorian every single year. I now wonder, like, how are, are they making these shows concurrently? Like, how to like how quickly can they make all of these things? Well, I'm not know, spending seems... that much time writing scripts because I believe really, <laughs> each script is like ten pages long. Well, where I it's like, like I like you to do me a favor, and then the next, and then it just says action scene, and then they finish up. Well, well remember, Andrew... sorry, Rosario I... Dawson was cast before the first episode of season one aired. So the other thing hanging over all of this. It was like this was probably shot as season one was airing. Like they were already had these wheels in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the thing I was going to say was that, I mean, the it, it they are apparently taking the approach that sometimes it's possible to do a Star Wars show outside of the volume. Because I'm pretty sure based on the behind the scenes stuff that they showed during the Disney Disney press day that the Andor series, which is pretty much just a six episode you know, miniseries. So really it's just another, like an extra long feature film, but I think they're shooting, they were shooting that in London, but a lot of it, a lot of it looked practical. Like it wasn't like, you know, it, it, it does not appear to be taking the Mandalorian approach. And they've built, I know Kathleen Kennedy announced they built those volumes in London, Australia, and in LA. So I guess they could just 24 hours a day be making Star Wars TV shows if they wanted to on various different contents. And they could be using, if if they're building them and have they finished building them or they're just in production on that? I would be shocked if they had, because they very quietly built a number of others for season two. So I would not be surprised. I can't remember her exact verbiage, but I wouldn't, I would be shocked if they went forward with and or without having some kind of volume ready to and that's what I was, I was going to basically fact check myself on whether or not they actually did and or without using without using volume i will say that's one of the things i really liked about season two is it felt it opened up a little bit more and i know season one was like as much an experiment on a technical side as it was of like can we make a star wars tv show of them figuring out that that's why it felt so small and contained and simple but this season felt a bit more dynamic at least in terms of the the production design and and that kind of stuff but well, I mean, even Robert Rodriguez got them to shoot outside. Like, that's that's pretty fun. Just going out, out on the outskirts of Los Angeles or something. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's right. You guys are in L.A. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it's very, like, it, it, I think we were joking about Vasquez Rock, which, again, I fully endorse. If we, they want to just full on go to Vasquez Rock at some point, that'd be awesome. But, yeah, it's very, it's very uh, like, Northern Valley, like, you know, hills uh, in, in, in that episode. Which is, which is fine. I just, you know, again, I felt like, even though they like, we're going to go to different planets and things like this, like plot wise, it all just same stayed very like show up here, mostly a fight scene. And it's, I don't know. I feel like it's a show that's mostly done to make people feel good about the star Wars toys and video games they played. Like we'll bring in that troop transport. We'll bring in these dark troopers from this video game. And I'm like, is this really all we're doing here is just reinforcing. 
past purchases. I mean, the, the, you know, I feel like there's definitely that element to it. And like, I've, I've seen people write about the way in which like very specifically toys that were released during the Kenner days in the late seventies and early eighties are a major influence here. Like literally Dave Filoni is playing with the toys of his childhood Mm -hmm. uh, and putting, just putting them into the show. Uh, But I wanted to ask you guys about Bo-Katan. And the reason I wanted to ask you about her is because in in talking just now about about like the characters and about their journeys, like she has a really strong purpose. She has this really great, you know, motivation. Uh, I thought Katie Sackhoff was a lot of fun this season. Uh, But like, did did her journey land for you at all? I would say so with Bo-Katan and also like, uh, you know, Ahsoka, I feel like I would have had a stronger connection to those characters had I watched Clone Wars and Rebels. You know, if I had been on board with those Dave Filoni animated shows that had already introduced me to those characters, I think I'd get a real thrill being like, oh, the thing from the thing is back and now it's in live action and now I'm going here. But as someone who's not seen those shows, you're basically just giving me kind of the almost the bare bones of who this character is. So Ahsoka is like, I'm a Jedi. I live out in the wilderness and I make life difficult for people. And I'm on my own quest to find Thrawn. And then, you know, Bo-Katan is like, I'm on my own quest to get the Darksaber to rule Mandalore. And like, this sounds very interesting. And I don't know if all of Clone Wars is on Disney Plus. I should check. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I think it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Like, and so like, I feel like I'm, but the sort of the flip side of that is like, I kind of want to know more, but also it feels like you're giving me homework so that I can be invested in the show. And so I, I feel a little torn. Yeah, I Bo-Katan did not work for me at all because I was confused the entire time. I was like, wait, what? So is Mandalore still living? And like, wait, why do you have your helmet off? And I I know I sound like an idiot to people who are into Star Wars. But again, I shouldn't have to do homework to understand like the base, like motivations of your show or like invest in the characters for both of those characters, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. And I found Ahsoka more appealing and intriguing because I understand like Jedi and lightsabers and stuff because I watched the movies. Um, But I found both of those characters much more intriguing after I like read Wikipedia after the episodes. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, I didn't know she wasn't with the Jedi. And like, oh, that's cool that her lightsaber is a different color. And I'm sure all of that stuff colors like how they portray the character in the show. But like with Matt, as someone who came in not knowing anything about either of these characters, I was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's interesting to hear you guys talk about it because I, I tend to agree. Like a year ago or so, I wrote basically an article where I was just basically like, as a woman who loves Star Wars, it has been frustrating to watch the live action versions over the years. And like, it was basically just like a, I got really excited when I saw Ray holding a lightsaber and I wanted to process why that was. Yeah. Uh, and because in live action Star Wars, like there is a real dearth of female characters. And, uh, you know, one of the, I've, I, this is not the first time I've had this complaint. I've been ranting about this for 20 years or so. And uh, if not more, and one one thing that would always come up when I would bring this up would be people were, people would say, oh, you should watch Clone Wars because Ahsoka Tano is really cool. Like, and I'd be like, well, I, but that's animation and I I should, you're right, probably, but that's not my point. And the, uh, the, the animated series is not on the same level culturally as the massive blockbusters that come out every few years. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think like, you know, but I think you guys make a really good point in that, like the emotional weight, it, it, basically like using 
using their established histories as a shorthand for the fans didn't do those either of those characters a lot of credit uh, or a lot of favors when they were introduced in a live action context. And I think the reason I wanted to bring it up is just that I, I, I keep going back to the end of the season where it's like, Bo-Katan has the most interesting storyline theoretically going forward. Like she has, she wants to read, she wants to take the throne of Mandalore. And she has this problem where she has to figure out how to get the dark saber uh, back from, back from Din, who doesn't give a crap. I really wanted Din to be like, just punch me in the face and say, take the saber because I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, but it's like, that, that's a fascinating conundrum. And I, I guess I'm glad that there's storylines left to be told in the show at all, just because I have been enjoying watching it and I would like it to continue. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's a fascinating problem in some respects. On the flip side of that though, I would also kind of argue, and I know I'm arguing like against myself, but uh, like the whole, the purpose of like peak TV and like hashtag, you know, way too much TV is that there is literally something for everyone. And this show is, I keep coming back to like, this show is not for me. The show is made by John Favreau and Dave Filoni who are obsessed with, you know, uh, Filoni will, uh, you know, spend five minutes defending the prequels with some like philosophical like, mythological thing uh, and super into the animated shows. And John Favreau is like, you know, deeply, deeply obsessed with like the Kenner toys and, uh, you know, the original trilogy and Lucas. And so they are coming at it from that viewpoint, which is decidedly not the way Ryan Johnson, for example, this The Last Jedi, which I adore and maybe my favorite Star Wars movie, because explicitly because it is a progressive Star Wars movie is not a movie that is concerned with the past or Easter eggs or anything like that. So I saw on the other hand, I kind of feel like, well, you know, I guess give one to them, <laughs> like for all if they're making it for all the people who loved Clone Wars and loved Rebels and wanted to see the continuation of the story of Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano. I mean, I, you know, those people seem to be really into it. But yeah, my well, concern there is that if it because Mandalorian is the first and Disney is going to be like always there's going to be like do more of the thing. Like yeah. this is like Disney is a very risk averse company. And my fear is like, if like with the success of the Mandalorian to play it so safe, they're going to be like, do more of the thing. So yeah, we have all these other TV shows, but be, be like the Mandalorian, make it like very simple, very, you know, a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of nods to the fans. Don't make it too complex and whatever you do, don't do what they did with the last Jedi and upset people. Well, let me ask you guys this question, which is like, and I think this is kind of one of, this is like a huge question in some respects, which is, you know, the original, you know, first Star Wars episode four, A New Hope comes out. And it's very, it's part of like the very early beginnings of the idea of four quadrant blockbuster storytelling, like a movie that everyone has seen because it technically, there's something in it that appeals to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and now, of course, as the years have passed, you know, there is, you know, like you said, there's something for everyone. Like if you are a Kenner Toys nerd, The Mandalorian is a show literally made for you. But uh, is there, you know, where in this context is the idea that Star Wars is technically for everybody come in? Or is Star Wars for everybody? Like, you know, it, it doesn't have to appeal to every single potential fan out there in the world. But, you know, it does, it it has always kind of meant to hit at that kind of more populist level. I think in a transmedia landscape, it is for everybody. I think when you're only doing feature films, it's not. And I think, 
you know, gosh, so when were they, I'm trying to work out the timeline in my head of like how far along were they in season two when the rise of Skywalker was released and Lucasfilm I mean, was they like, were probably, uh, they were probably midway through production on season two. Yeah. So right. Skywalker came out. And I do think it was probably a smart track as they saw the reaction to the last Jedi for them to be like, yeah, okay, no lean into like the Easter egg stuff. So it, that does feel like two things for everyone, but yeah, on the, I mean, I don't know, George Lucas at the time when he was making a new hope, he was not like trying to make something super nerdy. He was trying to use very simple archetypes to tell a hopeful story. Like that was essentially his modus operandi for making star Wars. Uh, he was not like, yeah, yeah. Hero with a thousand faces. Yeah. So, and it's just, you know, it's taken on its own life and, you know, Lucas himself really, um, not shepherded, but like co-signed that whole fan movement that really exploded Star Wars throughout the nineties and the two thousands, I think. Cause he was like, yeah, do all the fan books you want, all the fan stories, all the fan, whatever. Um, and then I think when force awakens came out, they were like new Canon, we're starting over. This is the story now. And there was a bit of a rejection from some of the public of like, well, I don't want that story. Well, I feel like I feel like it's worth really making clear the distinction between what you're talking the the fan the, the expanded universe you know was wasn't fan driven. It was like there was a Lucasfilm story team in place. It was like they were making canon decisions within that framework. It's just that when Disney took over, they wanted to simplify the hell out of it. And to be completely fair, like there's a lot of there was a lot of random stuff that happened like there was a book released between the release between I, I'm sure you guys have heard about this but like there's a book released between the release of a new hope and Empire Strikes Back where like Luke and Leia just full-on hook up and it's because Luke and at that point like the writer of that book working within the Star Wars framework like had no idea that coming up would be the reveal they were brother and sister George, George Lucas didn't know that that yeah was exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, I mean, so that's why, like, that's why in some respects it was probably one of the best decisions Disney has made since taking over, which is to create the concept of legacy versus uh, canon uh, within the Star Wars, uh, you know, universe. But also the Mandalorian literally is crapping all over that by pulling things like video games, pulling stuff like the Dark Troopers, who I believe are from the pre-can... I, I, I should double check that you can't make any mistakes about star Wars when you're talking about stuff like this, but there are definitely elements of uh, the Mandalorian. I believe that are at least paying homage to stuff outside of uh, established Canon. And uh, because Dave Filoni can't, can't resist. I wanted to ask you guys this, cause the, you asked me like is star Wars, where does star Wars being for everyone come in? Uh, and the way I felt about it was like star Wars was special because it was rare. There were only six movies and they came out like, you know, a lot of time apart and then with the uh, disney bought it it was like you know we're going to turn out a trilogy we're going to turn out spinoff movies we're going to turn out you know new animated shows and new live action shows um and that kind of like do you still think star wars is special i i don't think it's special <laughs> i don't or did think, it ever feel special to you no i look i think it's special like i mean far be it for me to tell anyone what's special to them you know i mean that's that's different. I think it's not, a, it's certainly not rare anymore. It's not sort of, but it, in a, and I think in some ways that's taken the pressure off where every film has to sort of like really be this perfect thing. Cause it'll be, there'll only be so many of them. Um, and I think that that's good. It kind of eases the burden and it lets, you know, one of the advantages of star Wars is that it's sort of this rich mythological world with a lot of things happening and a lot of places to go. And you can sort of, branch out and find new places. And I think that's good. And I don't think it makes it 
you know, I, I wouldn't, I jumped, I wouldn't say it's not special, but I would say it's, it's special in such a way that like, you don't live and die with every installment. I would like, if I'm going to compare it to like another long running franchise, sci-fi franchise, I'd say Star Trek, you know, you don't live and die with every episode of Voyager, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes a good episode of Voyager comes along and you appreciate it. And then a bad one comes along. And you're like, oh, well, next time, you know, and like you look at you, you start looking at the franchise more through its eras more than installments. And I think that's sort of where we were at, we're at with Star Wars right now is that we're in an era of Star Wars rather than, you know, how did this episode compare to this episode? You know, because it's like. And I, I think, you know, it's just it'll be interesting to see how Star Wars changes, especially with so much of it. I mean, someone made the good point. Um, I forget who it was, but like when you have 10 Star Wars series, not all of them are going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And like what happens when a Star Wars series, a live action Star Wars series flops? What does that look like? That's a really good point. And I think what's really it's really uh, I feel like there's been recently a bit of a a bit of a discussion around the prequels uh, and whether or not, you know, like kind of you know, discussing whether or not they're really as bad as we remember them being. I haven't personally gone back and revisited them uh, <laughs> in a long time. Maybe that's a fun Christmas project, who knows? Uh, but I, I do think that if we had concurrently a bunch of Star Wars series running at the same time that, like, uh, Attack of the Clones and is coming out, like, yeah, you, I think you're 100% right. Like, the pressure would be more off, and we would look back on them, we would look back on them I don't know. Like, I, I don't, they wouldn't have seem, they wouldn't, it wouldn't seem so bad. Uh, Attack of the Clones wouldn't seem so bad if it wasn't the only Star Wars thing that came out for a period of three years. Um, and whereas, like, as much as, uh, like, Rise of, Sky, Rise of Skywalker is not a good film. And arguably, it's, I mean, the more I think about it, like, the more I think it's probably worse than all of the prequels. Uh, it's and the worst Star Wars movie. it is it's I, the worst Star Wars but movie. I but I but I but I feel weirdly forgiving I, I I don't it didn't break Star Wars for me and I think that that yeah. the prequels did break Star Wars for people at, for a certain period of time and I think that's uh, that which is a really fascinating issue and I mean uh, it also to almost to the point where do I like the Force Awakens so much because it's a really great Star Wars movie, or do I like The Force Awakens so much because it at least unbroke Star Wars for me to, for some, it, it, to some respect? Because that's really what I feel like it did for me, is like it made me like Star Wars again, eat to su- at least to a little bit, a li- at least a little bit. No, I think that's I've never great... really stopped loving Star Wars. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, no, it's a great point. Like, I mean, when you think about when Phantom Menace came out and people were just like, like people had to convince themselves that it was good. Like they were just con- like they had to be like yes no Phantom Menace is good and then like the more like they just could that opinion could not hold under scrutiny and with Rise of Skywalker people are like yeah this is bad and like they just kind of be like all right it's bad and now I'm gonna get on with my life because there's more star like there's more Star Wars stuff on the way and I didn't also I didn't wait you know what was the eighty three to ninety nine I didn't mm-hmm. wait you know sixteen years for this movie so yeah no it's it's one of the most striking memories of my my young life is i went and saw i i don't want i don't need to get into the specifics of how i ended up seeing the phantom menace a week before everyone else but i got into a special screening and i saw it a week before everyone else and 
Uh, I remember, and I saw it, and I was just like, I had no one else to talk to about it, which was the big thing. Like I, so I just kind of like went home, and I remember waking up the next morning, taking a shower, and just this thought of, wait, was that bad? Like that might have been bad. Did I see a bad movie? Like it was like, Ewan McGregor is really good. I really liked Ewan McGregor in that movie, but was it bad? Was that a bad movie? It was. It was. It was. It was hilarious. Like it was just like the the thought that Star Wars could be bad had never occurred to me. Even in the lead up to Rise of Skywalker, I felt like there was a lot of denial because people were like, "All right, it's gonna end great. JJ's back. It's gonna be just like JJ's back. JJ's Palpatine. Palpatine's coming back. It's called Rise of (laughs) Skywalker. (laughs) The dead speak. But I think you're right. Like now it's just kind of like, oh yeah, there's a lot more things coming on. Like it'll be what it is. But I don't know. I I liked this idea that Star Wars was three movies that we all remember remember fondly as iconic and that when they're on cable, like you kind of stop and watch them versus something that is just like always happening. And there's so many sometimes it's okay not to explain everything (laughs) sometimes i don't need to know what happened in that corner of the universe well that's my that's sort of one of my worries about star wars going forward is not is that it's it's so busy explaining things that it's like oh where did this piece of space trash come from well let me tell you i'm gonna dig into the or like the only like basically everything was created from 77 to 83 and that can only be sprung and, and you can only work from within those confines. And my hope would be for Star Wars to be like, no, take this world and find a new story to tell about it. And it's weird to me that like outside of the movies, like the best Star Wars story I've seen. And, and granted, I'm not like someone who's like deep in the EU stuff. But like I remember when I played uh, Knights of the Old Republic. And it's like, what an interesting way to tell a Star Wars story. It's in the Old Republic, so you're not worrying about, it takes place thousands of years before, so you're not worried about like, oh, how will this affect what we already know? So you've created a safe distance. And then you tell a story about like this Sith who like gets, you know, gets amnesia and like thinks he might be a Jedi. And like, you're telling an interesting new story, but you don't have to like worry about like but how will that affect obi-wan kenobi it's like i don't know he hasn't been born yet who cares <laughs> yeah um it's oh that there's it's really interesting um so i want to i want to shout out to uh star trek discovery just like this is like i'm having this quite wild uh, 24 hours where last night i watched the newest episode of star trek discovery and i'm not going to spoil anything for fans who might be watching both shows bless your hearts if you are uh <laughs> But uh, this latest episode, Discovery, did invoke a very big, iconic part of the original series uh, mythology. Um, and But it did so in a really clever and fresh way. It found like a, 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 it found a really imaginative approach to bringing back in this very iconic element. And I was really struck by it because especially, you know, after... As much as I was just like, holy shit, I, sorry, I can't, uh, holy smokes, I can't believe they're doing this when, uh, when when I'm watching the green lightsaber, you know, appear on screen, I was, it's still, it, the impact of what the Star Trek Discovery did in terms of the way it invoked this, this, this classic element had so much more meaning to me than, oh God, they've really have digitized Mark Hamill's face uh, from the year 1983, though not updated his haircut. And it's five years later. Get a new haircut, dude. <laughs> anyway. 
So I, I would say let's maybe start wrapping this up by talking about like what what do you want to see in season three of The Mandalorian? I mean, and, and and at this point we can let's assume that it's wide open that because Disney has not said season three is about Boba Fett or it's about Din Djarin. Like, what would you like? Because the show is coming back. There's not going to be like, and the Mandalorian is canceled. Our our Emmy nominated cash cow with Baby Yoda. <laughs> what do you what do you, Liz? What do you want to see from the new season of the Mandalorian? I mean, I, I want to see more of Pedro Pascal's beautiful face. Uh, and I, 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 that, that is my first instinctual answer. Like, I really love him as an actor. It's it, as little as he might have been on set. I'm still really glad that he got this opportunity to play this character. And I would love to see him become more of a character, especially now that he's taken these huge strides. So um, as much as I think that we've been set up for a situation where Din Djarin's story is done and we don't see him again, at least in season three, or at least not right away at the beginning of season three. I still, you know, that is instinctually what I would like is I've spent a fair amount. I've gotten it invested enough to the point where I want that investment to pay off. And also I would like to see more Baby Yoda. Uh, But like also in general, I would like to see it continue the ethos that I started talking, I was talking about the beginning. Like you'll see idea that, you know, life on life in the outer rim is complicated and you sometimes need to do a favor or two for somebody uh, to get what you need. Uh, But it's not, it's not an easy palatial existence. Like it's, it's tough that, you know, people are struggling everywhere. And Alan, what would you like to say? Just Star Wars justified with Timothy Oliphant. Just go go over there. Yeah. <laughs> also, just, that. Do that. Do Where's that yeah. spinoff? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all, you announced 10 spinoffs, and not a one of them is Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. The one cowboy. that everyone wants. Yeah. Hot space you, what are we even doing monsters. here, Disney? <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, the show for me became like, I enjoy watching Baby Yoda be cute because the action didn't really do much for me. Um, and I know the action is a big reason a lot of people watch it. I don't begrudge that, but that just wasn't really the thing for me. So I'm with Liz. Like, I would like to see a changed Din Djarin, um, go about the world. Like, how does he, how does he inhabit the world now that he has changed now that he, you know, is comfortable taking his mask off, but has cared so much for this other thing when that kind of goes against his creed, I think. I don't know the full Mandalore code. Um, I'm not super into, like, the mythology and everything. I don't really need that explained. I find Ahsoka compelling, but I would watch that in the Ahsoka show. So the answer is I don't know, because I don't know who Din Djarin is. (laughs) We've spent two seasons with him. Don't know what he wants. But, uh, yeah, I would like to see that. I'll tell you what I don't want to see is a Boba Fett show. I do not yeah. care about Boba Fett. <laughs> if we get a Boba Fett show, my hope is that it's like, okay, you know what? Boba Fett doesn't really have a character, and now you have to make one. You actually, you have, like, my my challenge would be, you're making a Boba Fett show, make this show, and you can't rely on him being a badass. Yeah. Like, you actually have to make him have things that he cares about, things that challenge him as a person, make him, like, find, find a character arc for him that isn't, like, no disintegrations. You have to actually work at this. Like, what does it mean when you hold your father's decapitated head in your hands? What does that mean? I don't know, but we'll find out maybe on the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> They've been teasing, like, a gangster. I mean, that was what Solo was supposed to do, was to introduce a, the gangster criminal underworld. So it does appear as though maybe remember, they're just doing Remember it. half of... Of, of Darth Maul showing up, in solo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> robot, uh, which was a not, which was an early example of oh you you really should be watching the Clone yeah, Wars you, if you, you want to know what's going on in Star Wars. Ugh. Yeah, that was dumb. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess that's a good place to stop. Um, next week on the show, uh, again, we'll be having two episodes a week uh, until the end of the year. Our next episode, we'll be talking about Tenant, which is now on 4K. Um, it was not sadly not released on Quibi, as as Liz repeatedly advocated. I- you, you, you fight so hard for the cause and you just hate to see your dreams dashed. <laughs> we were, I think if Quibi had survived, Tenet would have arrived on it. That's, that's I, I am very excited to watch it on my phone. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan standing outside your window. Hey, hey, <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Uh, Liz, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at L-I-Z-L-E-T, uh, where you can find me flailing around, uh, get trying to encapsulate all my excitement about all this crazy uh, Star Wars, Star Trek news. And uh, Adam, where can we find you? Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.